This evening we look to a summary of God's Word which we find in Lord's Day 25. But first, I'd like to read with you both the beginning and the end of Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Now up to this point in Acts, just so you see where we are here, up to this point, what we see is how Christ is building His church in Jerusalem. The apostles and the disciples, who were a relatively small group, were strengthening each other, encouraging each other, waiting for the promise that Jesus had uh, said he would send to them, and then he does. At Pentecost, he sends the Holy Spirit, and Pentecost being a feast of the Jews in which Jews from throughout the empire would gather at Jerusalem, A multitude heard the gospel proclaimed, particularly by Peter, but also by the other apostles. And multitudes were coming to know the Lord. And they were all gathered there at Jerusalem, where they were being strengthened, where they were encouraging one another. But then, the unbelieving Jews, hardening themselves in unbelief, began persecuting. Chapter 7 talks about Stephen, one of the deacons of the church, who became the first public martyr after Pentecost, being killed uh, by unbelieving Jews wielding stones. And that brings us to the beginning of Acts 8. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. Now we're going to stop there a minute. We get into a section there that talks about Simon and his messy conversion and attempt to purchase the gifts of God. That isn't what we're focused on here. What we need to see is they were deceived by Simon. They were possessed, many of them, by demons. They were afflicted by struggles. But then they heard the preaching of the gospel and they changed. They turned to Christ. They were baptized. And these counterfeit miracles and counterfeit calls to peace, they set aside. Simon was no longer great to them because they saw what was truly great. They saw Christ and his salvation. Skipping down to uh, verse 26 
We read, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, was le- he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Now again, summarizing that word as we find there and in many other places, Lord's Day 25 asks, Is it by faith alone, or it is by faith alone, that we share in Christ and all his benefits? Where then does that faith come from? And the answer is the Holy Spirit works it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel. And he confirms it by the use of the Holy Sacraments. What are sacraments? Sacraments are visible, holy signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by our use of them, he may may make us understand more clearly the promise of the Gospel and seal that promise. And this is God's Gospel promise. He grants us forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace because of Christ's one sacrifice accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and confirms by the holy sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments did Christ institute in the New Testament? Two. Holy baptism and the Holy Supper. Amen. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a deeply individualistic culture. Most folks worry about other people only to the degree that those others affect them. Student athletes hear their coaches remind them that there is no I in team, but then hear those same coaches fawn over the individual abilities and accomplishments of star players, individuals. People neglect their children, divorce their spouses, 
change their moral code for the sake of pursuing my career, my pleasure, my dreams. Me, my, and I are the unholy trinity of our age. In such an atmosphere, is it any surprise that Christians are tempted to emphasize the individual? I left that church because I didn't feel fulfilled there. I get really sick of the fact that nobody asks me my opinion. What I do in private is no one's business but my own. Such statements are evidence of a dysfunctional, hear this, evidence of a dysfunctional heart. It's the attitude of one who doesn't recognize that each individual is part of the greater body of Christ. And that individualistic attitude is a cancer. It is a cancer that frankly has been destroying the church in America. And not only the church, individualism is a cancer that destroys all who embrace it. We've all seen and heard the symptoms. Who among us hasn't had some friend or relative draw away from the church? You ask him, why haven't you been in church lately? Or, I've heard that you've not been in church lately. And what is it that they answer? Is it because their church has been struck by some theological heresy that they have drawn away? Or is it because they were too weak to attend because of some disease? More likely than not, no. It's because, well, you know, things have been really stressful lately. Things have been really hard. And I just, I've just felt more fulfilled to just, you know, go with, between me and the Lord. And we go and I, I just spend some time alone with him. Out in the woods or at home on my own. I just feel more connected to him that way. I feel more fulfilled, which is another way of saying... I don't want to be held accountable. I don't want people getting in my business. I don't want to be vulnerable. Now set aside for the, for the moment the disobedience of that behavior. It is disobedient. Young people hear that. To absent yourself from the church from the worship of the church is disobedient because it is God who calls us to worship among the people of God. And it's also not just disobedient, but selfish because when you set yourself aside from the church, you're also refusing to use the gifts God has given you for the well-being of His people. Set that all aside for the moment. And acknowledge, too, that there's nothing wrong with spending some quiet time alone with the Lord to read scripture, to pray, to rest. That's fine. What we need to recognize is disobedience, selfishness aside, there is no substitute for the church. God established his church to be unique among the institutions of men, a body that bestows a unique blessing that we need, which cannot be found anywhere else. That is the focus of Lord's Day 25. Here God's people recall that we receive the comfort of Christ through means that have been entrusted uniquely to the church. That's our theme. Now there are two such means that he has entrusted to the church. What we call the means of grace, which are uh, preaching and 
the sacraments. And both of those belong uniquely to the church. We really need to see how each of them and both of them together serve God's people and honor God in order to see how the comfort of Christ is received through these means that are entrusted uniquely to the church. We begin by considering preaching, which is the means given to create faith through the gospel declared. Our catechism begins with a question that arises from the last two Lord's Days. Those lessons which kind of came on the heels of considering what we confess in confessing the Apostles' Creed, those two Lord's Days, 23 and 24, emphasize that our salvation comes through Christ alone, by God's grace alone, received through faith. Not through anything we do, not through anything we accomplish, but through faith. And so it asks the logical question, it's by faith alone that we share Christ and all his benefits. Where does that faith come from? If faith is so essential, if it is such a linchpin, where do we get it? And of course we know that the answer is and must be ultimately God. God is the one who chose the individuals whom he would save. And God is the one who sends his Holy Spirit to regenerate those chosen ones. He causes us to desire Forgiveness from sins and reconciliation to God. He softens our hearts. He sends everything we need to be united to Christ. So God is the ultimate source of the faith we need. But but God is ordained to use means, to use a chosen device in order to send the faith that we need. And the means that he uses, according to Scripture, is preaching. How would you describe preaching? I would suggest to you that there are at least two ways that we could define it. There's a kind of a colloquial way, a common way, in which everyone is called to preach. That's our witness. We're all called to be ready to give an answer, give a reason for the hope that is within us. There's that sense, that colloquial sense of preaching that we're all called to do. We are all, every one of us, called to confess Christ. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 10 that anyone who declines to confess him before men, he will decline to confess them before the Father. So there's a sense in which we all are called to confess Christ, right? But then there's another way. There's another definition, a more formal definition of preaching, in which God calls certain men... To formally proclaim the gospel of Christ. It is of this kind of preaching that Romans 10 speaks. When in verse 14 it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It is such preaching that God is pleased to use to draw and to bless those who are His. And this is what we find only in the church. To His people uniquely, God has entrusted the authoritative preaching of the Word. The creation at large can leave us without excuse, can show us that God exists, but it can't draw us to Christ. The testimony of individuals on their own, it can excite our curiosity, it can show us, can can even foster in us a longing for something more. But it can't form that faith within us. But when God calls and sets apart men to himself, 
leading them as he led Paul to spend time preparing, to spend time studying God's word, to spend time learning what it means to call men to Christ. And then he calls them formally through the church and ordains them to that work of ministering. It is then that they are able to say with Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, When you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accept it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work with you in you believers. In 1 Peter 1 verse 25, Peter emphasizes that we are saved through the gospel which is preached to us. And that is what arises only through the church. That's what nurtured the church in Jerusalem after the days of Pentecost. The apostles went about preaching the word at the temple and from house to house and even in the streets. Teaching the people not just what God's word says but what it says to them. Not just what Jesus has done but what he is continuing to do to them. And through that word preached many came to believe. Jews from Jerusalem and from throughout Judea but also from the farthest reaches of the empire came to know and to love the Lord through the preaching of the gospel and when through persecution the church was spread. The apostles stayed behind but they had raised up men. They had raised up men like Philip whom they had equipped, whom they had ordained to preach the gospel. And everywhere they went, everywhere they were scattered, they preached. And God used that preaching of these men who had been ordained and set apart to the task to raise up the church. We read throughout the book of Acts about how Paul was sent by the church in Caesarea. And how he and Barnabas and others went from city to city and they preached first to the Jews and then when the unbelieving Jews kicked them out, they preached to the Gentiles and God used that preaching to raise up the church and in the church, every place where it was established, they raised up elders and ministers who would continue to preach, who would continue to proclaim the truth of Christ and through whose preaching the saints were gathered. Now if that preaching is to be legitimate, it can't merely be the lecturing of men. This world is filled with men whose minds are impressive, men who design architectural wonders and machines that do the work of many men. Folks who figure out how to do major surgery through the smallest of incisions. Folks who can memorize the most complex theorems or design solutions to mind-boggling complex problems. But as impressive as the minds of men are, none of their insights, none of their assurances, none of their motivational speeches can soften hearts hardened by sin or impart to them the faith that will unite them to Christ. No men of themselves are able to provide absolute assurance that your sins are forgiven, that you are at peace with God, that He will receive you at the end of time as His own beloved children. Only the Word of God can do that. And therefore, only the Word of God can serve as the ground and the basis and the content of the preaching of God's prophets, of God's preachers. And therefore, the faithful minister limits himself to preaching God's Word, explaining it, that his hearers might understand it, applying it to their hearts and minds and lives. 
Without such preaching, we cannot come to know, we cannot come to know Christ truly. Think about what we read at the latter part of Acts. Here's this dignitary from Ethiopia who obviously desires to know more about God. He's been to Jerusalem to worship, which was a significant journey. He has obtained for himself a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, very likely the Greek translation of Isaiah, because what's quoted there is quoted from the Septuagint, the Greek translation. And he's reading it, he's studying it as he travels. Now what he reads is from Isaiah 53, one of the clearest, most powerful expositions of Christ in his humiliation, Christ in his sacrifice on behalf of his people. We read that, we know immediately. Any passage in Isaiah 53, you read it, and the Christian knows immediately that you're talking about Jesus. But he reads it, and he says, who's he talking about? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? He invites Philip to preach to him, and Philip comes, and he explains from that passage and others how Jesus came, how Jesus sacrificed, how Jesus saves. And it's through that preaching... It's through that preaching that the Ethiopian comes to faith in Christ. The results of faithful preaching are truly phenomenal. We heard at the start of Acts 8, the crowds in Samaria hearing Philip preach were drawn to Christ. They heeded the preaching of the gospel filled with joy at what they heard. You see, having having drawn the elect through the preaching of the gospel... The Lord uses it to create faith. You heard from Romans 10. How will they call on him whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him whom they've never heard? How will they hear without someone preaching? Because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And he doesn't merely create faith within us. When God's word is preached to us, he uses it also to mature those whom he has drawn. He he draws us to love Him more and more deeply. He leads us to obey Him ever more truly. He causes us to delight in following after the Lord as His disciples. That's why why Paul urged the young minister Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul knew that as Timothy focused on preaching to God's people, the church would flourish, the saints would grow, the kingdom would spread. Folks, we desperately need the blessing that God sends us through the preaching of the word. Understand when I say that, that's not self-promotion. I, and I think any minister worth his salt recognizes that the The calling we've been given is infinitely beyond what we are able to do. In fact, we often stand in awe at what God does through the preaching of the word because we sit down after preaching and we recognize how weak were the words that we spoke, how how weak we, the ministers of the word, are. And then someone comes up and says, boy, that hit close to home. Did my wife tell you about last week? Well, no, she didn't. But God knew. Or they come up and say, boy, you were really preaching that at me, weren't you? No, 
Did that relate to you? That's the Lord. He takes that word and he uses the weak vessel that proclaims it and he speaks directly to the hearts and souls of his people. He addresses us right in the midst of our struggle, of our suffering, of our sin, of our need. And he lifts us up to Christ and he says, here's the answer. Here's the one who delivers you. We could go on about that. We need to recognize that that is a means entrusted to the church by which our faith is established and grown. But it's not the only means he uses. He also uses the sacraments. Now, we don't want to talk about those too terrible long because the next few weeks we're going to talk about those. As we look first at baptism and then at the Lord's Supper. But we need to see that, that this is a means that confirms the faith that is established in preaching. Confirms it by the gospel displayed. Kids, I want you to pay attention to what it says here about what the sacraments are. They're visible, holy signs and seals. Pay attention to that. They're holy. That means they're from God. They're a unique gift from Him. They're signs. That means they teach us something visibly. You see signs along the road all the time. They teach you. This is what the speed limit is. This is what the name of the road is. There's a turn coming up. Right? They're visible and they teach us. That's what sacraments do. And they're also seals, which means they attest to the genuineness. They, they testify that something is real. In this case, they testify that the promises of the gospel are real. And they're visible. Again, there's something we see, something given to us to instruct us. Sacraments are different than preaching. Preaching is meant both to form faith and to strengthen it. But the sacraments, well, God doesn't use the sacraments to create faith in us. In fact, apart from faith, the sacraments are useless. In fact, if they're not received by faith, sacraments can only condemn us. But the sacraments, they come to those who have faith. And whereas the preaching comes to our ears and goes straight to the heart... The sacraments come to everything. Think about the Lord's Supper. We hear, but we also see the bread broken. We see the wine poured. As it comes past us, we can smell the bread and the wine. When we partake, we feel the texture of the elements. We taste, we perceive. They appeal to all of our senses to testify to the truth of that which we believe, to confirm the reality of the faith in which we've grown. However, those sacraments are absolutely inseparable from the preaching of God's Word. Everything the sacraments show us reflect truths that we hear more extensively in the preaching of the Word. A, a minister that I, one minister I know has helpfully compared sacraments to the illustrations in a book. Illustrations rarely add new information, right? Think about your textbooks in school. There's illustrations in some of those textbooks, but they don't try to add information. They explain the information the text has already given you. They lay it out visually to help you understand what's already been spoken. And that's what the sacraments do. They don't add something brand new. They explain, they confirm, they help you to understand what's already been preached. 
But remove the preaching of the word, and the sacraments breed superstition. That's what happened in the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. Worship was held in Latin, which very few of the common people spoke. As a result, the sacraments were often misunderstood. People thought they worked magically. They came to regard the sacrament itself as having power. And Christ, which the sacraments are meant to show, Christ, which the sacraments are meant to display, he was set to the side. People began to trust not in Christ, but in the Lord's Supper. Not in Christ, but in baptism. The word preached must lay the foundation that allows people to celebrate the sacraments properly. And if we do, if we couple the preaching of the word with the sacraments, they strengthen our faith. They remind us, this is what you were told. This is what lies right at the heart of our faith. And this is how real it is. Touch the bread. Taste the wine. See the water fall upon the head. That's how real, that's how true, that's how concrete these promises are. Powerful signs. And yet signs that are inseparable from faith. Unless you have faith in Christ, the sacraments really don't make any sense. They just seem like empty rituals, meaningless traditions, or even unexplainable magic. It's only with faith and through faith that the sacraments strengthen and encourage us. That's why many of the Greek manuscripts of Acts 8 include verse 37. If you were sharp-eyed in, your, in our reading from Acts 8, you noticed that it went from verse 36 to verse 38. Some scholars believe that verse 37 wasn't in the original. I wasn't there when Luke wrote it, so I can't testify to that assuredly, but I think... Verse 37 probably was there. Having heard Philip preach Christ, the Ethiopian eunuch asked, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip, he doesn't just hop off and start dunking him under the water. No, he asks for a testimony of faith. He says, If you believe with all your heart, you may. Only if the man had faith. Because he was an adult... Because he was outside the covenant, and that's the sign of entrance into the covenant, only if he had faith could he come into the covenant, only if he had faith could he receive that sign and seal. And because he had faith, he could be baptized. Now, most all of you were baptized before you knew what faith was, before you could understand, because you were born into the covenant. But that doesn't mean that faith is a non-issue for you. That means that you, as you come to understand Christ, you, as you come to understand the significance of baptism, you have to receive those promises with faith. Otherwise, all that baptism can do is condemn you. Because you were even given this visible demonstration of what Christ has promised, and you rejected it. So faith is absolutely essential. Likewise for the Lord's Supper. It's a great blessing for the people of God who receive it, but it must be received aright by a people who recognize that this is what Jesus did for me. He allowed His body to be broken for my sins. He allowed His blood to be poured out for the death that I deserve. It's only when we receive it by faith that it nourishes us. But if we do receive it by faith, it deepens and strengthens that faith within us. So then preaching and the sacraments are quite distinct, aren't they? Preaching comes by hearing. 
to form and to strengthen our faith, whereas the sacraments affect all the the senses and confirm a pre-existing faith. They're very different means of faith. And yet, and this is our last point, they are precisely alike in the point that is most crucial, and that is their content. Both of them are means that concentrate faith by the gospel distilled. Lord's Day 25 shows us that joint content throughout what we confess there. Our answer 65 says that faith is produced by the preaching of the Holy Gospel. We saw that in Acts 8 verse 12, didn't we? It was through Philip's preaching of Christ that they received with joy new life. And when he hopped up in that chariot... He didn't just debate philosophy with this Ethiopian eunuch. He didn't start talking to him about academic things or about where he was from and what the culture of Ethiopia... No! He spoke to him about Christ, who he is, what he has done. He brought out the gospel. Then in answer 66, God uses the sacraments so that he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel. Again, it's the gospel of Christ that stands front and center. This is what God uses to draw us to himself. Question 67 asks, Are both the word and sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. This is the hope that is offered by the preaching of the sacraments. Or by the preaching and the sacraments. Christ. The gospel of Christ, the life of Christ, that's what stands at the center. And why is that so important? In this world, in every single age, there is no shortage of folks holding out false gods to you. That's what led to our sin in the first place. Satan said, did God really say? And what was he doing? He was holding out to Eve and to Adam the choice. Will you let God be God? Or will you sit on the throne? Will you decide? Will you make the final judgment? It's a false God. And ever since then, we have been surrounded by offers of false gods. Offers of someone else to sit on the throne. Someone else to trust. Someone else in whom we will find our hope. But all of it's a lie. Acts 4 verse 12. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Our comfort, the only true comfort that is found is in the gospel of Christ. That I am not my own but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head apart from the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. And because I belong to Him, Christ by His Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life. And makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That is the heart of the gospel. That is the heart of our faith. Because you trust in Christ. And only because you trust in Christ. Paul says to you in Romans 5. Since we have been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. Your hope, your life, your present and your future all are wrapped up in trusting Christ. And therefore the preaching of the Word and the sacraments that support the Word 
all focus us on Christ. So are they limited to that? The sacraments are. People always want images. There's a TV series now, The Chosen. What is it? Images of Christ. They want images. They want to see visually all the stuff. I don't want to read the scriptures. I don't want to hear the scriptures. Show it to me. God gave us two images. Because he knew that images are addictive. And he knew that images are prone to misinterpretation. So he gave us two images, and those two images show us the very heart of the gospel. The cleansing that Christ promises to all who trust in him. The life-giving nourishment that comes to us by the breaking of the body of Christ and the outpouring of his blood on our behalf. Two images that stand at the very heart of the gospel, and that is it. No other pictures, no other videos, no other, because that's what matters. The preaching goes farther because the implications of the gospel encompass everything. Always right at the heart is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Always, always, always that has to stand at the heart. But if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if we become his disciples, then we will begin obeying him because we love him. John 14 verse 15. And those who lead the church will teach us To obey everything I have commanded you. Matthew 28. And everything he has commanded us is life encompassing. And so the the word faithfully preached will start at believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And it will go out from there to how you raise your family. And how you work at your job. And how you do politics. And how you show mercy to your neighbor. And how you reject your sin. And how... Etc. It encompasses all of life because Christ is Lord over all of life. But it always comes back to the gospel because if it doesn't rest on that foundation, it rests on a false foundation. And when the gospel is set before us aright, in the sacraments and especially in the word, everything changes. Our relationships change. Our pastimes change. Our priorities change. Our desires change. Our hope changes. Our very identity. Our very identity is transformed from what we do or to whom we belong or what we enjoy to a child of God. A new creation in Christ. And that changes everything, but it all comes back to the gospel. And we receive that comfort in a manner that has been given only through the church. The means of the preaching of the word, the means of the sacraments. Young people, children, why is the church so very important? There's a lot of reasons that the church is a blessing to us. But something you can find nowhere else are these means by which we receive the comfort of Christ. You can't get it on your own out walking in the woods. You can't get it on your own just meditating on the Bible. Those are good things. Do those things. That's fine. 
But we desperately need the means of grace that God has entrusted to his church. And we need to give him thanks for providing them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are entirely faithful and good in all your ways. You have seen fit to give us these gifts of the preaching and the sacraments that through them we might be given faith, nurtured in the faith, and drawn close to Christ through our faith. Grant that our use of the preaching and the sacraments might be faithful and that your people might be drawn and nurtured and built up through these means. Grant that we might never take lightly these gifts you've given us. And may you receive all the glory and the honor as we employ them. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.